Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Midnight Moon Astrology Podcast. I'm your host, Juniper, and today is Saturday, April 20th, 2019. The title of the first episode is Aries, James Potter and Fred and George Weasley. My plan is to release these episodes as both YouTube videos and as a regular podcast found on virtually all podcast apps, such as Google Play, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and so on. In addition to creating podcast episodes and YouTube videos, I also offer a variety of astro consultations where you can have your personal chart read by a professional astrologer. I provide monthly horoscopes or forecasts as well as the Hogwarts Astrology series where you can learn astrology through the lens of the Harry Potter books. Please see my website midnightmoonastrology.com for more details. In this first episode, I just want to give you a quick introduction to who I am and then we'll jump right into the Hogwarts Astrology series on the zodiac sign of Aries. So my foundation is Hellenistic astrology or traditional astrology with select modern techniques woven in. My astrological education includes Chris Brennan's 13-part Hellenistic Astrology course and Professional Astrology course, as well as group mentoring with Kelly Surtees. I've also taken a variety of local workshops and online webinars over the years and attended several wonderful astrology conferences, such as UAC, which is the United Astrology Conference, and NORWAC, the Northwest Astrological Conference. This year, I'll also be at GLAC, which is the Great Lakes Astrology Conference, for the first time. I'm an empathetic Cancer rising with a diplomatic Libra sun and a Gemini moon in the 12th house ruled by Mercury and Virgo. In addition to astrology, I also journal and write fiction. I like reading about Jungian techniques, archetypes, psychology, the brain, relationships, philosophy, history, and mythology. In addition to my astrological studies, I completed a bachelor's and a master's degree. So that's basically a little bit about me. Today on episode one of the podcast, we're discussing the sign of Aries through the lens of the Aries characters in the Harry Potter books, James Potter, Harry's dad, and Fred and George Weasley, the twins. For those of you who read the Aries article on my website, this podcast will go over that information, but with many additional examples from the books, plus extra content such as what J.K. Rowling thinks of Aries, the family dynamics between characters based on their sun signs, and a more in-depth look at James, Fred, and George's entire birth charts. While I'll have a variety of content on the podcast, this episode is part of the Hogwarts Astrology series, and eventually you'll see each zodiac sign covered through different Harry Potter characters, as well as exploration of many other connections between astrology, Harry Potter, and J.K. Rowling. You can visit the Hogwarts Astrology section on MidnightMoonAstrology.com to find out my long-term vision for this series. In the Harry Potter books, J.K. Rowling purposely gave characters birthdays that corresponded with sun signs that matched their personalities. We can learn zodiac signs through the lens of Harry Potter by examining the characters that embody them. For example, the Aries of the Wizarding World include James Potter, Harry's father, as well as the twins, Fred and George Weasley. It's important to remember that these characters only personify certain types of Aries individuals. In real life, some may be less extreme or stereotypical, or may express their Aries traits differently. James Potter was born March 27, 1960. While he has an Aries sun, he also has an Aries moon, so he's a double Aries, which can manifest a bit excessively at times, especially when he was a teenager. Meanwhile, Fred and George Weasley were born April 1, 1978. 
Yes, April Fool's Day. How perfect. While Fred and George have a more balanced big three due to their Capricorn moon, they nevertheless have a stellium in Aries. Their Sun, Mercury, and Venus can all be found there. First, let's look at the basic principles of Aries. The planet Mars rules Aries, and some individuals with a strong Mars will be redheaded as the Weasley twins are. Aries is one of two places in the zodiac where Mars feels at home and is able to naturally express himself. The other place is Scorpio. The sun is exalted in Aries because in the northern hemisphere, this is the start of spring and the days are growing longer. Saturn has its fall in Aries. It's the least comfortable sign for Saturn to inhabit because its qualities are so different from Saturn's. Likewise, Venus has its detriment in Aries. Aries is an active yang sign and its quadruplicity or modality is tropical or cardinal. So cardinal signs take initiative and are driven to start projects such as Fred and George beginning their own company, Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. Aries is one of three fire signs in the zodiac. The others are Leo and Sagittarius. Many Harry Potter characters who have their son in fire signs, including James Potter and the twins, end up in the house of Gryffindor, which is correlated with the element of fire. No Aries will take on every single Aries trait because everyone has a birth chart that's unique to them and there's far more in it than just a sun sign. But Aries individuals are likely to identify with a wide subset of these qualities. Let's take a look at the many aspects of Aries using examples from the Harry Potter series. So here we have a quote from Ginny Weasley. She says, we've been hearing explosions out of their rooms for ages, but we never thought they were actually making things. We thought they just liked the noise. This is from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire when the twins were first figuring out their new company and trying to become entrepreneurs. Fred and George are only 16 and still very much Hogwarts students when they become inspired to invent magical joke products. They create order forms so they can run a mail order business while trying to earn enough money to afford physical premises. They even put ads in the Daily Prophet. Aries individuals often have a range of characteristics that might aid them in becoming an entrepreneur or at the very least working independently or in a leadership role. All of this they share with Capricorn, in fact, but Aries are more likely to take risks during the process. The twins are incredibly passionate about their business, and passion is a key Aries trait. Aries' suns, or risings, may have a singular focus that they feel driven to accomplish, and this is often accompanied by relentless determination and the willingness to be proactive. That doesn't mean that Aries won't experience burnout at some point in their lives. They are a fire sign, after all, but many of them tend to have more energy than the average person. We have a couple more examples of the twins being serious, earnest entrepreneurs, one from Order of the Phoenix. You got, what was it, three owls each, said Ron? Yep, said Fred unconcernedly, but we feel our futures lie outside the world of academic achievement. We seriously debated whether we were going to bother coming back for our seventh year, said George brightly. Now that we've got... He broke off at a warning look from Harry, who knew George had been about to mention the tri-wizard winnings he had given them. Now that we've got our owls, George said hastily, I mean, do we really need newts? We're not going to waste our last year here, though, said Fred, looking affectionately around at the Great Hall. We're going to use it to do a bit of market research, find out exactly what the average Hogwarts student requires from his joke shop, carefully evaluate the results of our research, and then produce the products to fit the demand. In Half-Blood Prince, we find out that the twins' products are so innovative even the ministry is interested. 
Fred says, Well, we thought shield hats were a bit of a laugh, you know, challenge your mate to jinx you while wearing it, and watch his face when the jinx just bounces off. But the ministry bought 500 for all its support staff. Being a pioneer is another Aries trait. Aries may forge an entirely new path, pioneering something that's never been seen before, or exploring an area yet untapped, whether mentally or physically. Small explosions coming from Fred and George's room were considered perfectly normal, according to Chamber of Secrets. They experimented until they perfected their craft, although their curiosity sometimes led them into dangerous, uncharted territory, such as when they tried to find out what would happen if they fed a filibuster firework to a salamander in Chamber of Secrets. Aries individuals may have a high degree of confidence, independence, and self-sufficiency, and they often rely on themselves more than any other. In Order of the Phoenix, Hermione tells Ron that Fred and George are just jealous after they tease him for being chosen as a prefect, but Ron is doubtful and says, I don't think they are. The twins have an incredible amount of confidence in themselves, their business, and their abilities. They don't rely on school teachers or parents to provide validation. We even see their mother, Molly Weasley, exclaim that every member of the family has been a prefect, which causes George to retort, what are Fred and I, next door neighbors? The twins have been self-sufficient since an early age, as we learn when they rescue Harry in Chamber of Secrets. Not only do they confidently drive across the country in a flying car, they're familiar with muggle methods of solving problems, something that many wizards dismiss. Fred and George, like many Aries, are good in emergencies. We see George pick the lock of the cupboard with a hairpin to retrieve Harry's school things before Uncle Vernon can stop them. Some other Aries traits include being rebels or rule breakers. Rubius Hagrid notably compares the Weasley twins to James Potter in Prisoner of Azkaban. McGonagall says, Black and Potter, ringleaders of their little gang. I don't think we've ever had such a pair of troublemakers. And Hagrid says, I don't know. Fred and George Weasley could give them a run for their money. James is recognized as the leader of his friend group here and also demonstrated leadership qualities as head boy during his seventh year at Hogwarts. Aries can often be natural leaders, though not all of them have this as their goal. Some merely want to be free or run their lives as they see fit, something all three characters demonstrate regularly by breaking the rules and rebelling against constrictions. It makes sense that James would be equated with the twins, since they all share some Aries signatures. We even hear that they engaged in some of the same schemes while at school. When Dumbledore explains to Harry where the invisibility cloak came from in Sorcerer's Stone, he admits that your father used it mainly for sneaking off to the kitchens to steal food while he was here. During the trio's time at Hogwarts, Ron says, We're having a party. Fred and George stole some cakes and stuff from the kitchens. James, Fred, and George don't merely rebel against the rules. There are even instances when they're willing to break or bend the law, albeit to varying degrees. George explains to Harry that they're purchasing venomous tentaculous seeds to complete their scheming snack boxes, but as they're a Class C non-tradable substance, they have to rely on Shady Mundungus Fletcher to procure them in Order of the Phoenix. Meanwhile, James Potter pushes the limit when he becomes an illegal animagus. And there's a few other examples of the twins or James being rule breakers or rebels. In Order of the Phoenix, Sirius says, No one would have made me a prefect. I spent too much time in detention with James. In Sorcerer's Stone, Ron says that Fred and George have lost loads of points since they've been here and people still like them. The twins make fun of Percy for becoming a prefect because they're so averse to following rules. And in Deathly Hallows, Fred is on the underground wizarding radio station that Lee Jordan starts during the Second Voldemort War. 
And merely having a program like this is so dangerous that they have to give listeners a password each time so that they can hear the next show. So here we've got a quote from Fred Weasley this time. He says, We'll bet 37 galleons, 15 sickles, 3 newts, that Ireland wins, but Victor Crumb gets the snitch. Oh, and we'll throw in a fake wand. This is from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. They're willing to risk everything and go all in. Fred and George exemplify the daring, risk-taking qualities of Ares when they drive a flying car across England to rescue Harry from the Dursleys, going so far as to wrap a rope around the bars of Harry's window so they can pull them off by driving the car straight up into the air in Chamber of Secrets. But risks aren't always physical. Fred and George waste no time in pooling all of their money to gamble on the Quidditch World Cup with Ludo Bagman. While risky, this seems like the most likely way to drum up capital for their business, so the twins go all in. Plus, by including a fake wand, they get the head of the Department of Magical Games and Sports interested in their products. Ares is all about big risks equaling big rewards. The twins also take an aging potion in an attempt to cross the age line to put their names in the Goblet of Fire, even though professors have strongly stressed it's against the rules because the Triwizard Tournament will be dangerous. Fred and George are thrown from the line by a blast of magical power, and both discover they're sporting long white beards. James Potter, meanwhile, transforms into a stag and hangs out with a werewolf on a monthly basis while he's a student at Hogwarts. Even though this is somewhat safer in animal form, it's still a gamble to put himself in that situation. It's from Prisoner of Azkaban. In Order of the Phoenix, Harry tells Sirius that he'd love to see him, but he doesn't think he should risk turning up as a dog in public because the Malfoys may recognize him. Sirius is put out by this. He says, You're less like your father than I thought. He said finally, a definite coolness in his voice. The risk would have been what made it fun for James. For some Aries, risk-taking may provide them with exhilaration and fulfillment. Taking risks may make them feel like they're truly living. It's common for some Aries individuals to crave that adrenaline rush. However, it's important to remember that these risks may not always be physical. They could be emotional, creative, mental, psychological, financial, commercial, etc. If your Aries planets are hindered by Saturn, this may manifest in a different manner. Risks may not work out well for you, or perhaps you fear them. The concept of a risk or lack thereof is likely to play a role in your life, however, whether positively or negatively. Aries are typically adventurous, such as when Fred and George excitedly visit Lee Jordan on the Hogwarts Express because he's brought a giant tarantula from Sorcerer's Stone. Couple other traits that Aries normally exemplify uh, they can be impulsive or impetuous. Aries often rushes headlong into situations, sometimes with impulsiveness. In Order of the Phoenix, Fred and George bewitch their trunks to fly downstairs to save the bother of carrying them, with the result that they hurtle straight into Ginny and knock her down two flights of stairs into the hall. Their Scorpio mom is furious. The twins meant no ill will, they simply didn't think it through or foresee the potential pitfalls. At Hogwarts, Slytherins of Umbridge's inquisitorial squad try to excessively dock points from the other houses, and Fred and George aren't having it. They tell the trio that Montague attempted it, but according to Fred, he never managed to get all the words out due to the fact that we forced him headfirst into that vanishing cabinet on the first floor. Hermione is shocked, sure that they'll get into terrible trouble. Not until Montague reappears, and that could take weeks. I don't know where we sent him, Fred said coolly. 
An impetuous action can sometimes have far-reaching consequences, however, when Montag tells Draco Malfoy what happened to him and how he could sometimes hear what was happening at Borgen and Burke's while trapped inside, Draco figures out the linked vanishing cabinets, one in Hogwarts, one in Bergen and Burke's, could be used to let the Death Eaters into Hogwarts, eventually leading to Dumbledore's death. There are many examples of Arya's potentially reckless nature within the Harry Potter series, much of it involving the testing of the twins' joke shop products on themselves as well as unsuspecting victims. They admit they'd been looking for someone to test tongue-tongue toffee on all summer, and that Dudley Dursley seems like the perfect candidate, when the Weasley family picks up Harry at the Dursleys via flu powder in Goblet of Fire. Fred accidentally drops a piece of the experimental candy, and sweets-loving Dudley's tongue ends up swelling several feet long. Fred admits that they didn't know if their trick candy would actually work or if something would backfire, and Mr. Weasley is furious over their treatment of Harry's cousin. We have a couple other examples of recklessness as well from Order of the Phoenix. Fred and George start testing their joke shop creations on themselves. They test the skeeving snack boxes, but end up puking too much at first. And then there's a longer example from Order of the Phoenix that really exemplifies it pretty well and kind of contrasts with Hermione's cautiousness. Hermione was not listening. She was squinting over into the far corner of the room where Fred, George, and Lee Jordan were now sitting at the center of a knot of innocent-looking first-years, all of whom were chewing something that seemed to have come out of a large paper bag that Fred was holding. One by one, as though hit over the head with invisible mallets, the first-years were slumping unconscious in their seats. Some slid right onto the floor, others merely hung over the arms of their chairs, their tongues lolling out. So Hermione discovers that these were fainting fancies tested on first years, and she threatens to write Mrs. Weasley about this. I told you this morning you can't test your rubbish on students. We're paying them, said Fred indignantly. I don't care, it could be dangerous. Rubbish, said Fred. Calm down, Hermione, they're fine, said Lee reassuringly as he walked from first year to first year, inserting purple sweets into their open mouths. Yeah, look, they're coming round now, said George. A few of the first years were indeed stirring. Several looked so shocked to find themselves lying on the floor or dangling off their chairs that Harry was sure Fred and George had not warned them what the sweets were going to do. Feel all right, said George kindly to a small, dark-haired girl lying at his feet. I, I think so, she said shakily. Excellent, said Fred happily. But the next second, Hermione had snatched both his clipboard and the paper bag of fainting fancies from his hands. It is not excellent. Course it is. They're alive, aren't they? said Fred angrily. You can't do this. What if you made one of them really ill? We're not going to make them ill. We've already tested them all on ourselves. This is just to see if everyone reacts the same. Even more dire consequences abound when Katie Bell gets a nosebleed at Quidditch practice and Fred Weasley gives her a purple pill from one of their joke products in an attempt to stop it, but he accidentally provides the wrong purple pill. Katie ends up ingesting a blood blister pod, which makes her bleed more, rather than the kind that stops the bleeding. The team has to cancel the Quidditch practice session altogether in order to send Katie to the hospital wing in order of the Phoenix. Like many Aries, Fred and George do have to deal with the consequences of reckless actions, such as distributing products that haven't been deemed fully safe. In Half-Blood Prince, Ron explains to Harry that if you break an unbreakable vow, you die. Even as children, Fred and George were cooking up potentially lethal situations as Ron goes on to describe how the twins tried to get him to make an unbreakable vow when he was around five years old. 
I nearly did, too. I was holding hands with Fred and everything when Dad found us. He went mental, Ron confides to Harry. Depending on what the twins had in vow, this could have had profound consequences for the Weasley family. Three other potential Aries traits are competitive, fast, and athletic. While this will certainly depend on your individual birth chart, many Aries are athletes that play sports or incorporate physical strength into their life somehow. Fred and George are beaters on the Quidditch team, which requires both athletic skill and physical strength. James Potter played chaser for the Gryffindor Quidditch team when he was at Hogwarts. When we see the Marauders through the Pensieve in Order of the Phoenix, James is lazily tossing the snitch and catching it at the last second before it escapes, amazing Wormtail so much that he applauds. Fast reflexes or being generally quick at things is another Aries trait. This extends to more than just the physical. If you have Mercury in Aries like the Weasley twins, you may think quickly. Even though Fred and George are very likable, we see that they do have a competitive side, particularly when it comes to Quidditch. In Goblet of Fire, J.K. Rowling writes, Everyone said hi back to Cedric Diggory, except Fred and George, who merely nodded. They had never quite forgiven Cedric for beating their team, Gryffindor, in the first Quidditch match of the previous year. Aries individuals can be quite competitive, though not always with other people. Some are competitive with themselves. They tend to rise to the challenges they set. Aggressive is another potential shadow side to Aries traits. The twins' aggressiveness reveals itself the most during Quidditch. In Sorcerer's Stone, Snape awards a penalty to Hufflepuff because George Weasley hit a bludger at him. During a particularly frustrating moment in Prisoner of Azkaban, George smashes the bludger in the direction of a Slytherin beater who was forced to roll right over in midair to avoid it. Fred Weasley chucks his beater's club at the back of Marcus Flint's head. While aggressiveness is one of the shadow qualities of Ares, it can develop out of some of Ares' other attributes, such as being competitive, reckless, or rule-breaking. A couple more examples of aggressiveness in the Potter books. Malfoy insults the Weasley's mother and father in incredibly derogatory ways. George Weasley, along with Harry, gets into a fist fight with Malfoy over this, leaving him with a bloody nose, and the result is that Umbridge bans them from playing Quidditch ever again. Meanwhile, Fred says, I would have pounded the little scumbag to a pulp if you three hadn't been holding me back, in order of the phoenix. Of course, both the twins and Harry are fire sun signs, so this makes sense. When Harry's cleaning out old files for Snape, he finds records of past students' punishments, including his father's. In Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince, it says, James Potter and Sirius Black apprehended using an illegal hex upon Bertram Aubrey. Aubrey's head twice normal size, double detention. One of the most infamous moments of James's aggression occurs in the Order of the Phoenix flashback scenes. While James is a teenager at Hogwarts, we see him call Snape Snivellus and then use Expelliarmus to make Snape's wand fly out of his hand. When Snape starts to boil over, swearing, James tells him to wash out his mouth and uses the Scourgeify spell to make pink soap bubbles emerge from Snape's lips, making him gag, choking him. After Snape defends himself, James responds with a clever but nasty bit of magic, hanging his rival upside down so that Snape's underwear is revealed as his robes fall over his head. It's incredibly extreme bullying, which goes further when James does it a second time, asking who wants to see me take off Snively's pants. Most Aries, of course, will not take things to this level, but a small subset may go this route and they may be able to relate to feelings of aggression in general. More commonly, Aries may deal with anger problems even if they remain bottled up inside. 
Three other shadow traits of Aries include anger, impatience, and frustration. Aries is ruled by Mars, and therefore they're one of the zodiac signs most likely to struggle with anger, at least at some point during their lives. Whether this anger is directed at a justified cause like fighting Voldemort or something pettier, Aries individuals may defend themselves or defend others due to this ire. They may feel so passionate about a cause or a situation that they lose their temper in the heat of the moment. When the Weasleys find out their dad had been attacked by Nagini, Sirius doesn't want them to dash off to St. Mungo's straight away, because then they'd have to explain how they knew about it before they were ever told. It was Harry's vision that actually tipped them off. While the other siblings accept this in stride, the Weasley twins are irate. "'We don't care about the dumb order,' shouted Fred. "'It's our dad dying we're talking about,' yelled George." Your father knew what he was getting into, and he won't thank you for messing things up for the Order, said Sirius angrily in his turn. This is how it is. This is why you're not in the Order. You don't understand. There are things worth dying for. Easy for you to say stuck here, bellowed Fred. I don't see you risking your neck. And this is all from Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix. Part of this anger comes from the fact that Ares cope by doing something, trying to solve a problem as proactively and efficiently as possible. When sitting and waiting is all that's left to do, it can put Aries on edge. A few other traits that correspond to Aries are dramatic, attention-seeking, and performers. While Leo is the sign everyone thinks of when it comes to actors or people in the entertainment world, and there's truth to this, in practice there seems to be some correlation between Aries and actors as well. Some people don't embody the stereotypical Aries traits as strongly, but their Aries comes out through their work as a performer. The Weasley twins perfect their performing skills in order to market and sell their joke shop products. Fred and George appeared finally to have perfected one type of skeeving snack box, which they were taking turns to demonstrate to a cheering and whooping crowd. First, Fred would take a bite out of the orange end of a chew, at which he would vomit spectacularly into a bucket that had placed in front of them. Then he would force down the purple end of the chew at which the vomiting would immediately cease. This is from Order of the Phoenix. They put on a similar performance when showing off their headless hats, which can make a person's head disappear for a short period of time. Aries, like all fire signs, has a flair for the dramatic, and sometimes this can lead to attention-seeking, as demonstrated by James Potter as he tosses the speedy snitch around in Order of the Phoenix. Every time James made a particularly difficult catch, Wormtail gasped and applauded. After five minutes of this, Harry wondered why James didn't tell Wormtail to get a grip on himself, but James seemed to be enjoying the attention. While Aries rarely need validation from others, they do tend to enjoy garnering people's notice, which can occasionally lead to arrogance. We see arrogance mentioned over and over again when it comes to James Potter, and tellingly, it's agreed upon by multiple characters. Lupin attempts to provide some context to this. Look, Harry, what you've got to understand is that your father and Sirius were the best in school at whatever they did. Everyone thought that they were the height of cool. If they sometimes got a bit carried away. If we were sometimes arrogant little Burks, you mean, Sirius says in Order of the Phoenix. The positive Aries quality of confidence can sometimes turn egoistic if not kept in check. Nowhere is this more evident than the pensive scene by the lake that involves the teenage marauders tormenting Snape. After Lily approaches and angrily confronts James, she points out, You think you're funny, but you're just an arrogant, bullying toll rag, Potter. Leave him alone. James, rather than appearing abashed, immediately counters this. I will if you go out with me, Evans. Go on, go out with me, and I'll never lay a wand on old Snivelly again. 
Rather than hear what she's saying, James attempts to turn the situation around to get what he wants, Lily, and he continues to use a derogatory nickname for Snape. Lily's overall take on young James can be summed up as follows. Messing up your hair because you think it looks cool to look like you've just got off your broomstick, showing off with that stupid snitch, walking down corridors, and hexing anyone who annoys you just because you can. I'm surprised your broomstick can get off the ground with that fat head on it. You make me sick. Reading between the lines, I'd say she thinks you're a bit conceited, mate, said Sirius. Harry has a similar take after emerging from the Pensieve. In Order of the Phoenix, it says, Judging by what he had just seen, his father had been every bit as arrogant as Snape had always told him. Of course, from what we're told, James grows out of this attitude as he becomes an adult, and that's an important thing to remember when it comes to the shadow side of a zodiac sign. Even as an Aries son or ascendant, certain related traits may drop off over time or only come out during times of stress. Some other Aries traits include being assertive, persistent, and outspoken. While James could be tactless and abrasive as an adolescent, Aries individuals don't necessarily have to fall at the far end of the spectrum, more commonly depending on what else is in their birth chart. They're outgoing or outspoken, such as when the Weasley twins meet Harry on the Hogwarts Express and Sorcerer's Stone, and would have asked him what you-know-who looked like if Molly hadn't stopped them. In Goblet of Fire, Fred and George are continually approaching Ludo Bagman, trying to get him to pay up after they won a bet with him. They show an incredible amount of assertiveness and persistence, two characteristics that serve Aries well. First, they write Ludo a letter, generously assuming it was an accident that he paid them in leprechaun gold, which disappears. Then, when he says they're too young to be gambling and he's not going to pay them, the twins ask for their money back, but Ludo won't give it to them. Fred and George also approach him in person when he's visiting Hogwarts or Hogsmeade, but he tries to avoid them. Assertiveness and persistence can help Aries reach their goals, which is an integral part of being an Aries. One of the Weasley twins' best qualities is their sense of humor. They're some of the funniest characters in the Harry Potter series. They're constantly making quips, even in serious moments, such as studying for owls or the day George loses his ear while fleeing the Death Eaters. George explains Hogwarts' grading system to Hermione. E4 exceeds expectations, and I've always thought Fred and I should have got E in everything because we exceeded expectations just by turning up for the exams, he says in Order of the Phoenix. After George loses an ear in Deathly Hallows, the Weasley family waits anxiously for him to respond. How do you feel, Georgie? whispers Mrs. Weasley. George's fingers groped for the side of his head. Saint-like, he murmured. What's wrong with him, croaked Fred, looking terrified. Is his mind affected? Saint-like, repeated George, opening his eyes and looking up at his brother. You see, I'm holy. Holy, Fred, get it? I know multiple Aries in real life that have an incredible knack for improv, and they can delight an audience at a moment's notice. Often Aries can win forgiveness for some of their less desirable traits by incorporating humor into a situation. Aries and Gemini are the most likely signs of the Zodiac to be pranksters, with Leo and Sagittarius as runners-up, and Fred and George just can't stop. In Prisoner of Azkaban, they put beetles in Bill's soup as a joke, and they like Bill, so just think what they might do to an enemy. Fred drops experimental tongue-tongue toffee on purpose so that Dudley will eat it, causing his tongue to grow several feet like a massive snake. The twins even send dragon dung to Percy at his ministry office in Goblet of Fire. So we have a couple different examples of Aries characters being gutsy, 
Fred and George invent extendable ears and then use them to listen outside the door of a major Order of the Phoenix meeting. Fred says it's worth the risk. That's a major meeting they're having. Even though Mrs. Weasley has tried to confiscate all the extendable ears, they're still willing to take the risk. Fred and George are never gutsier than when they're facing down Professor Umbridge. They find ways to cause delightful disruption at Hogwarts, such as setting off enchanted fireworks that scatter to every corner of the school. Considering Umbridge's form of punishment involves writing lines that magically cut into your skin, the Weasley twins show substantial pluck. And so here's part of a scene from Order of the Phoenix. Somebody, and Harry had a very shrewd idea who, had set off what seemed to be an enormous crate of enchanted fireworks. Dragons comprised entirely of green and gold sparks were soaring up and down the corridors, emitting loud, fiery blasts and bangs as they went. Shocking pink Catherine wheels five feet in diameter were whizzing lethally through the air like so many flying saucers. Rockets with long tails of brilliant silver stars were ricocheting off the walls. Sparklers were riding swear words in midair of their own accord. Firecrackers were exploding like mines everywhere Harry looked, and instead of burning themselves out, fading from sight, or fizzing to a halt, these pyrotechnic miracles seemed to be gaining in energy and momentum the longer he watched. Filch and Umbridge were standing, apparently transfixed with horror, halfway down the stairs. As Harry watched, one of the larger Catherine wheels seemed to decide that what it needed was more room to maneuver. It whirled towards Umbridge and Filch with a sinister whee. Both adults yelled with fright and ducked, and it soared straight out the window behind them and off across the grounds. Cheers, whispered George, wiping tears of laughter from his face. Oh, I hope she tries vanishing them next. They multiply by ten every time you try. Aries are more likely to do something outlandish for laughs. Fred and George are some of the few who are even able to joke about you-know-who. When Harry, Hermione, and the Weasleys visit the twins' joke shop, they notice a flashy sign in the window. Why are you worrying about you-know-who? You should be worrying about you-know-poo, the constipation sensation that's gripping the nation. Mrs. Weasley says they'll be murdered in their beds from Half-Blood Prince. Being bold is another Aries trait. Boldness comes in all shapes and sizes. While we often think of boldness in terms of confronting authority or saying something unexpected, sometimes just asking a girl out can require an immense amount. While Harry and Ron can barely get the words out to invite a female classmate to the Yule Ball, Fred treats it almost like an afterthought, fearless as he shouts his request across the Gryffindor common room. "'Who are you going with, then?' said Ron. "'Angelina,' said Fred promptly, without a trace of embarrassment. "'What?' said Ron, taken aback. "'You've already asked her?' Good point, said Fred. He turned his head and called across the common room, Oi, Angelina! Angelina, who had been chatting with Alicia Spinnett near the fire, looked over at him. What? she called back. Want to come to the ball with me? Angelina gave Fred an appraising sort of look. All right, then, she said, and she turned back to Alicia and carried on chatting with a bit of a grin on her face. There you go, said Fred to Harry and Ron. Piece of cake. This is from Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Fred and George have one of their most triumphant moments when boldly rebelling against Umbridge. She advances on them, furious that they've turned a section of the school into a swamp, expecting that she'll get the better of them when she administers punishment. But the twins make a show of their decision to drop out of school before taking their newts. So here's a scene from Order of the Phoenix. You too, she went on, gazing down at Fred and George, are about to learn what happens to wrongdoers in my school. You know what, said Fred, I don't think we are. He turned to his twin. George, said Fred, I think we've outgrown full-time education. 
Yeah, I've been feeling that way myself, said George lightly. Time to test our talents in the real world, do you reckon? asked Fred. Definitely, said George. And before Umbridge could say a word, they raised their wands and said together, Accio brooms. If anyone fancies buying a portable swamp, as demonstrated upstairs, come to number 93 Diagon Alley. Weasley's Wizarding Wheezes, he said in a loud voice, are new premises. Special discounts to Hogwarts students who swear they're going to use our products to get rid of this old bat, added George, pointing at Professor Umbridge. Stop them, shrieked Umbridge, but it was too late. As the inquisitorial squad closed in, Fred and George kicked off from the floor, shooting 15 feet into the air, the iron peg swinging dangerously below. Fred looked across the hall at the poltergeist bobbing on his level above the crowd. Give her hell from us, Peeves. And Peeves, whom Harry had never seen take an order from a student before, swept his belt hat from his head and sprang to a salute as Fred and George wheeled about to tumultuous applause from the students below and sped out of the open front doors into the glorious sunset. Umbridge inspires so much fear and loathing, a display this brazen emboldens the students to fight back. Aries can often end up an unintended leader in circumstances like these. Next, we've got Values Freedom. Successfully leaving school and escaping from Umbridge causes the Weasley twins to become symbols of freedom for the other students. And it's not just a show. Fred and George actually do run their own business, live by themselves above the joke shop, etc. While everyone likes freedom, Aries tend to place an even greater emphasis on it. They feel stunted and re restricted when rules box them in or when they have to answer to authority. We also see this in Prisoner of Azkaban when Harry learns that the twins have been able to sneak around more than the average student with the help of the Marauder's map. The map shows every nook and cranny of Hogwarts, including secret passages, which they use to their advantage if they don't want to be detected. They can also see where everyone on school grounds is, so they have a heads up in case someone undesirable is approaching. Fred and George have always valued freedom to do their own thing more than most. And last but not least, we've got uh, the archetypal Aries or the pure Aries can sometimes be seen as brave, courageous, or heroic soldiers. James Potter, for all his faults, takes on a protector of the people role when he prevents Snape from going down the Whomping Willow Tunnel, where he would have met Werewolf Lupin and quite possibly his own death in Prisoner of Azkaban. Aries, ruled by Mars, is associated with bravery and courage in general but also specifically in the context of soldiers or the military or armed forces. Both James and the twins fought valiantly during the wars with Voldemort, and two of the three gave their lives. George gave his ear, which is still quite a sacrifice in itself. It's one thing to talk about bravery. It's another to march into a precarious, dangerous situation and defend one's castle, son, or principles. James, Fred, and George believe that muggles and muggle-born should not be persecuted and should be treated as equal to pure-blood and half-blood wizards, both by law and in everyday life. Even Voldemort admits that James Potter exhibited bravery. He says to Harry, Yes, boy, your parents were brave. I killed your father first, and he put up a courageous fight in Sorcerer's Stone. Ares, when passionate about a cause, will stop at nothing to accomplish their aim or protect their loved ones. Some actually do become soldiers and protect an entire country. Others will simply be willing to put themselves in harm's way if the reason is compelling enough. Not every Aries will see themselves in these particular characters. The zodiac sign can manifest in a number of different ways. But examining Aries qualities can hopefully help the Aries archetype be better understood. 
Before we move on to the next segment, if you like the work I'm doing, please consider supporting me by using the donate button on my website or by becoming a patron on Patreon, which I've linked to in the show notes. But you can also find me by just going to patreon.com and searching Midnight Moon Astrology. Another way to support my work is by booking an astrology consultation. There's a variety of consultations offered at the moment, including Birthday Present, which deals with the solar return chart around the time of your birthday and which planet is your Time Lord for the year. Past History, which examines what the chart looked like during important events in your life. Future You, which is a consultation that takes a deep dive into what to expect over the next year. And of course, your standard birth chart consultation. Right now, I'm offering student astrologer pricing for a limited time, so feel free to check it out on MidnightMoonAstrology.com. So one of the interesting things about J.K. Rowling is that she knows how to interpret birth charts and if you go to the Hogwarts Astrology section of my website, I link to a couple of the written interpretations that she did back in the early 90s for uh, a friend and, and her friend's son. And you can look at what she says about some of the signs and kind of see how well it matches up with the characters that she made Aries or the characters that she made Taurus. She's talking about the pure signs, so I, I don't want to make too much of an equation here, but it is kind of interesting to hear what she says about them. For example, what she says about Aries is that it's the, the macho man and woman of the Zodiac, supremely aggressive. Aries likes fights for their own sake and is a confirmed Philistine, is what J.K. Rowling says. And the definition of a Philistine would be a person who is guided by materialism and is usually disdainful of intellectual or artistic values or a person who enjoys only popular entertainment but does not appreciate art, literature, or music of high quality. So fun to think about whether or not that relates back to the Weasley Twins and James Potter. The next section here is family astrology. We're looking at Weasley family astrology here. Um, all we know for sure is what, where their sun signs are. We, you know, we don't really know for sure that she thought about the rest of the chart, but she deliberately did pick these character sun signs, and so that tells us the most about the relationships between them in this case. So the twins are Aries, and Molly is a Scorpio, their mom, so they're actually in aversion. Their sons are in aversion to each other. And we know that this pairing argues more than other pairings in the family. We see the twins and Molly go at it you know, quite a bit throughout the books. The twins' dad, Arthur, meanwhile, has his son in Aquarius, which sextiles Aries. So Fred, George, and their dad seem to get on better. Certain types of Aries and Aquarius can get on very well together, particularly if they're both in interested in experimenting, taking initiative, maintaining independence and self-sufficiency. They definitely have some things in common. Bill, Charlie, Percy, and Ginny all have sons that trine the twins because they all have fire signs, whether Sag or Aries or Leo, all the fire signs will trine each other. The only child in the family who doesn't have a fire son, son is Ron, which we'll discuss more in the Pisces podcast video. He does, however, have a water sign like his mom, but it's Pisces instead of Scorpio. So we can speculate that this is one of the reasons Ron feels a little more left out in his family or like he has to fight a little bit more for attention since he's 
amongst fire signs and they the attention tends to gravitate towards them and then of course harry is a fire sign as well so ron's just surrounded by fire signs and i think this definitely contributes to some of his complexes and insecurities and that will be really interesting to explore in the pisces podcast and then when we look at Potter family astrology, we see that both James and his son Harry are fire signs. So they're Aries and Leo suns trying each other. And so that's a very positive flowing aspect. They get on well together uh, without even trying. And like Arthur and the twins, Lily's Aquarius sun sextiles James Aries sun. So ultimately that's a pretty amiable aspect. And they, they did eventually get on together well after they got through the, uh, the high school phase. So here we have James Potter's entire natal chart. Of course, we don't have a time, and we only have an approximate place of birth, maybe somewhere around London, but we can still learn some things from this chart. Obviously, we, we have to ignore the houses. The houses can only be defined if you have a birth time, it, and that's what determines the ascendant or rising sign. So we don't have, we don't have an AC. We don't have the midheaven, the MC. But we can still look at what signs the planets are in and what aspects they're making, and that may still tell us something about the character. But I, I do only want to go into this a little bit because as far as we know, Joe Rowling only chose their sun signs deliberately. We don't know that she ever looked at the rest of the chart or factored that in when creating these characters. And since they're not real people, that's important to remember. Um, but... I thought it would be fun to look at the chart just a little bit to get an idea of what might be there. And sometimes when you go down the rabbit hole, you just start getting more and more curious. So what we first notice is that both the sun, an exalted sun in Aries, and the moon are in Aries in James's chart. So two of his big three are in Aries. We don't know his rising sign, but that's that's a lot of Aries. You know, we can see why he's so fiery and peppery in his high school years. He's also born just after a new moon, and new moon. Uh, if, if you're born during a new moon and that's the phase that you carry through, um, you know, he's fresh to the world. He's ready for anything. He probably thinks he's more ready than he actually is. Uh, he's in some ways has a lot to learn. And I think that fits James pretty well. Um, he, he's going to try everything and then learn from those experiences. He also has a Venus Mercury conjunction in Pisces over here. Um, and I think that kind of shows that he can be a charmer at times. You know, a little bit of a sweet talker. You know, a lot of the girls liked him and he was pretty popular in school, even though Lily wasn't buying it and Snape wasn't buying it. A lot of other people found him pretty charming. And we also see that he has a little bit of a secret connection with Lily. Uh, we know that his Aries son is ruled by Mars. So Mars is James's, one of James's main planets. And his Mars in the chart, it's actually over here in Aquarius, and Lily's sun is in Aquarius. So we do see this, this tighter connection between them than is immediately apparent, because uh, the way James expresses his sun is a little more Aquarian, and so those two are going to understand each other on that level. And also Mars in Aquarius in general is just stubborn, so um, no surprise there. James also has a Pluto and Jupiter trine, a fairly close one. We've got Pluto at 
four degrees of Virgo and Jupiter is at two degrees of Cap. And so they, that type of trine often means something like wealth and power. And we know that James came into the world uh, with a pretty good fortune because his grandparents, uh, his grandfather, or sorry, Harry's grandfather, James's father, invented uh, the Sleek Easy potion and made a lot of money from hair care products, actually, magical hair care products. And so he comes in feeling pretty self-satisfied. You know, James feels pretty confident in the world. He feels part of the magical community. He has the support of his parents and the wealth of his parents behind him. And then he also has an exalted Venus in Pisces at 14 degrees of Pisces. And we know that he's blessed in friendship and love for the most part. The majority of his friends were really good. Obviously, there's one really big exception in Pettigrew. But Lupin and Sirius were excellent friends to him. And we know he had the love of Lily and that that was a positive relationship for both of them. And so he, he was lucky to have that while, while he was still around. We also see that the moon is approaching a square with Saturn in Capricorn. Um, so the moon is at nine Aries and Saturn is at 17 degrees Capricorn. And I thought this might be a little bit more of the whole Voldemort is coming for James and his family thing because we know that uh, Voldemort, Tom Riddle, uh, is, is a Cap son. And so Capricorn and Saturn can represent him in, in certain ways. And Saturn is pretty hardline and controlling at times. So we can see that malefic energy squaring James's moon, which the moon can sometimes be family um, or even just your own physical body. Uh, so a, a harsh aspect between the two of them could indicate that showdown is approaching, essentially. We also see in the transits, which I don't have pictured here, but Transiting Mars actually conjuncts natal Pluto on October 28th, 1981, just days before James's death. And so Mars conjunct Pluto is pretty volatile and violent and also might tie into like the betrayal of, of Peter telling Voldemort where they were. And then the transiting sun conjuncts natal Neptune in Scorpio during the wee hours of November 1st, 1981. So this would be very late on the night that James and Lily died and Sun conjunct Neptune. I mean, there's a couple things there. There's like the, the um, dissolving, just complete dissolving of the person, of the individual, but also um, betrayals from friends. The fact that Peter betrayed James and Lily and also betrayed Sirius by framing him during that time. It happens not long after that, that they have their own showdown. And this is transiting sun conjunct natal Neptune in Scorpio and Sirius's natal sun is in Scorpio. So essentially this signature is indicating that Sirius is experiencing a betrayal. Neptune can be betrayal. And then the sun in this case would be representing Sirius. And James having Saturn and Capricorn in general, you know, that can be seen as, as leaving a legacy, essentially. Capricorn can be concerned with family legacy and Saturn with longevity. So even though James died young, he, he definitely left a legacy, both himself and his family, and then also through Harry. 
So here's the Weasley twins natal chart. Again, no time and only an approximate place of birth. I did a little research online. It looks like Devonport, England is kind of near where the borough would have been, uh, but that's about as close as we can get. So ignore the houses once more. We don't know the rising sign or the MC or anything like that. But what we do know is that uh, like James, they have an exalted sun in Aries and the twins also have Mercury and Venus conjunct in Aries at 26 and 28 and mercury and aries in general typically means uh, they're quick thinkers fast talkers and they also have a capricorn moon which in their case can mean ambitious self-employment that's a, a good combination to have that aries sun and cap moon they also have a venus jupiter sextile so venus is at 28 aries and Jupiter is at 28 Gemini. And so what I see from this is that there's the potential for wealth with the two benefics there, but it would be delayed and they have to work for it with both planets in detriment. And that's kind of exactly what we see. They grow up poor, but then they end up earning their own money through their business and becoming really wealthy. We also see that that Venus at 28 Aries squaring Mars, which is at 27 degrees of Cancer. And this is a tough one. It, you know, it's Venus in detriment, square Mars in fall. And so I kind of see that playing out as uh, separation Mars um, from friends and loved ones, Venus. And that obviously happens you know with fred's death he's separated from everyone else george is separated from his brother and then with venus involved he actually ends up marrying his brother's what used to be his brother's girlfriend angelina george ends up marrying angelina in the end so i think that's a pretty good example of the venus mars square in this case we also see that cap moon opposite mars and cancer and that could manifest as arguments with mom. We know the twins argue with Molly quite a bit and they don't always see eye to eye. And there was also some interesting transits in their chart around the time of Fred's death. Again, I don't have the transits on this page, but right around the time that it actually happens, Fred dies on May 2nd, 1998, and transiting Mercury exactly opposes natal Pluto at 15 degrees. So... Pluto is, natal Pluto is at 15 degrees of Libra, and the transiting Mercury would be at 15 degrees of Aries, and that opposition occurs on the day Fred dies, and it's a wartime death, so that's a very Aries thing, Mercury and Aries, while fighting for justice, which is a very Libra thing, and Pluto's in Libra, so that, that opposition really uh, kind of describes what, what happened, and Mercury is to just like the death of someone who went too young, since Mercury can represent youths and things like that. And transiting Mercury would have set off the sun at 11 degrees Aries as well. The twins' natal sun is at 11 degrees Aries, so when Mercury comes along, kind of hits it a little bit, It even though that sun-Pluto opposition is pretty wide, Mercury coming along, it kind of ties those together, so it's like Mercury and the sun opposite Pluto, and that just makes it a much bigger signature. And we also know that progressed Mercury comes along three days later on May 5th, 1998, and progressed Mercury opposes natal Pluto as well. 
at 15 degrees. And so it's almost like an echo of what you see in the transits. This is three days after Fred's death, emphasizing the first encounter with Mercury and the consequences of it. You can kind of see George dealing with Fred's death afterwards and kind of reliving it, things like that. And we know that transiting Mars will oppose natal Uranus on May 5th, 1998 as well. And I think that too has to do with George processing Fred's death and this transformed world after war, but lots of really volatile aspects around that time. So we're coming to the end of this video. I just wanted to kind of let you guys know what my plans are in future. I'm going to be at two astrology conferences in May and in June and also doing a little traveling. So these next two months, I think I will be a little busier than usual, probably less content because of that. But then the second half of the year from July onward, I really plan to do a lot of content creation for YouTube and the podcast and the website and all sorts of things. So definitely look for that and please subscribe. If you're not in a financial position to support the podcast or YouTube channel right now, there are still plenty of ways to contribute, such as leaving a review on podcast apps or subscribing to the podcast and YouTube channels so that you don't miss future episodes. You can also follow my astrology practice on social media. I'm 12 Moon Astro on Twitter, Midnight Moon Astro on Instagram, and Midnight Moon Astrology on Facebook, but you can easily find me by searching Midnight Moon Astrology on any of those platforms. If you'd like to get in touch, feel free to email me at midnightmoonastrology at gmail.com. And thanks so much for listening.